And now, for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, but five, or five. Welcome, F. Fivers. I'm Jason Kleberg, and you're listening to the Force 5 Podcast. It's a show that features a guest that is forced to come up with a movie-themed top five list, and then we talk about those picks on air. Today, my guest is Eloquent, an extremely talented hip-hop producer for the Mellow Music Group. He also happens to be an absolute scholar in martial arts movies. The man is a walking library of the ass-kicking arts. And he's joining me tonight to talk top five kung fu movies. Before Eloquent and I chop it up, let's get to what I've been watching. The first thing I saw this week is 2011's Margin Call. Hello? I need you guys to come back up here. Wait a second. Just trust me, okay? I need you guys back here now. Wait a minute, what am I looking at? This figure here. Whoa, is that? It gets ugly in a hurry. Is that figure right? Looks pretty right to me. There are $8 trillion of paper around the world relying on that equation. But we were wrong. No, you mean you were wrong. Sir, if those assets decrease by just 25%, that loss would be greater than the current market capitalization of this entire company. How long would it take to clear that from our books? You cannot be doing what you're thinking of doing. Margin Call focuses on the risk management floor of an unnamed finance firm, which is clearly supposed to be Goldman Sachs on the eve of the 2008 financial crisis. After a low-level analyst is passed some troubling numbers, the firm scrambles to ration with and ultimately sell off its debt in order to stay afloat. Watching Margin Call astounded me that it was J.C. Chandor's first film. Everything about this thing screams veteran work. The script, which he also wrote, is tight and interesting, despite the fact that I could not care less about Wall Street. This is not a film that's going to make you try to get to feel emotion for the Wall Street suits, but it will make you understand why they do what they do. And in the end, it's easy to understand. Greed. And it makes no attempt to disguise that. The cast is just a bombshell of an ensemble, and everyone knocks their performance out of the park. We've got Kevin Spacey, Zachary Quinto, Paul Bettany, Jeremy Irons, Simon Baker, Demi Moore, Stanley Tucci, and many others in here. The subtleties and the details really make an impact as you learn what people have given up for the life that they've chosen. And while you might not feel bad for them, they do feel like fully formed characters. Unlike some Wall Street style movies, the characters here work in a gray area with people who actually have morals to a degree and want to do what's right, but unfortunately, most of the time, it's what's right for the firm and not what's right for the greater good. The high point of Margin Call happens in a boardroom with the head of the firm, John Told, played masterfully by Jeremy Irons, trying to understand why everyone is there at 3.30 in the morning. Almost every supporting cast member is there, and it provides a sense of tension that I didn't expect. It also provides some great quotes from Told as he tries to shove the bullshit out of the way to grasp the implications of the situation. I'd like to speak with the analyst who seems to stumble across this mess. Certainly. That would be Peter Sullivan right here. Oh, Mr. Sullivan, you're here. Good morning. Maybe you could tell me what you think is going on here. And please, speak as you might to a young child or a golden retriever. It wasn't brains that got me here, I can assure you of that. The film ends on a pitch-perfect note. No music, just the sound of a hole being dug, a fitting metaphor for the entire series of events that led up to that day. Admittedly, it's odd watching a film in 2021 that features Kevin Spacey in a role that's written to seem sympathetic. His character, Sam Rogers, seems to care about the people on his floor. Our first glimpse of him here is an emotional scene that takes place directly after we've found out that his dog is dying. In a move that's a bit different from what you might find in typical financial thrillers, he actually seems broken up about this. The man has a heart, even if it's layered under piles of cash. He seems to actually want what's best for his people and their careers, yet I found myself struggling to feel for his character knowing who Kevin Spacey is now. The ugliest thing here is just thinking about the world that we live in. There's a great quote that Paul Bettany's character, Will, says that really stuck with me. Listen, if you really want to do this with your life, you have to believe you're necessary, and you are. People want to live like this, and their cars and their big fucking houses they can't even pay for, then you're necessary. The only reason that they all get to continue living like kings is because we got our fingers on the scales in their favor. I take my hand off, 
when then the whole world gets really fucking fair, really fucking quickly, and nobody actually wants that. They say they do, but they don't. They want what we have to give them, but they also want to, you know, play innocent and pretend they have no idea where it came from. Well, that's more hypocrisy than I'm willing to swallow, so fuck. Fuck normal people. Margin Call is a fast-paced look at the precipice of the 2008 financial collapse. It brings together the cutthroat lifestyle that films like Wall Street portray with the intelligence and characters reminiscent of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. It's slick, it's well-made, and it's definitely an enjoyable watch. I highly recommend it. Next up, we've got a real doozy from 1995 called The Fear. Imagine, if you will, an experiment in fear. It's going to be a field session. A place where you can explore your deepest and darkest fantasies. It's going to be a, a weekend of fear exploration in a controlled environment. You can explore your own fears as well. A weekend where you will learn to face your phobias. So what scares you, Leslie? Whether it's the fear of heights or of beckoning nightmares. Because if you're afraid of the dark, or won't go near the water. Oh man, you're whacking me out here. What's you afraid of, man? For you, Marty. There's someone, or something, who will be there to help you in your moment of terror. Richard is a grad student, and for his school project, he'd like to conduct fear therapy at a cabin in the woods that's been in Richard's family. There's also a life-sized wooden doll named Morty that's been part of Richard's family for years, and he lives in a drawer in the cabin. So Richard brings his friends and some rapists, yeah, up to the cabin to face their fears. There are a few genuinely creepy scenes in this featuring Morty. Once he comes to life and starts moving around, making old wooden sounds, it's pretty unsettling. Unfortunately, it only takes a minute to see the rubber in the suit scrunching up when he moves. When stationary, though, Morty looks awesome. There's also a pretty neat scene in which Morty is seemingly controlling someone else's movements. It was quite effective. In fact, there are a lot of effective visuals in the film, most of which come from either masks or this weird Christmas theme park that just happens to be in the middle of nowhere. It's over an hour walk to the next place of human civilization, so why does this Christmas park even exist? Wes Craven also makes a cameo appearance during the beginning and end of the movie as Richard's psychology professor. He's the only one in this film who seems like he knew what he was doing. The initial setup to the film seems pretty cool. Get these people to a secluded cabin to work on their fears. Inevitably, that means that we'll see them succumb to these fears in creative ways, right? Wrong. Instead, we get a lot of relationship melodrama to, yes, two rapists, a sprinkling of incest, and a few very boring deaths that have nothing to do with people's fears. The deaths in particular were disappointing. There is no gore, and they are not creative. One guy is hit in the head with a wooden door a few times with the amount of force that it seems like it would annoy you more than kill you. Another, who is afraid of spiders, is hit in the face with a log while trying to rape someone. A girl is thrown from a second-floor balcony onto some pine needles and somehow dies. The only death actually caused by Morty is when he makes someone shoot themselves in the mouth, but that happens off-screen. Unfortunately, despite the great-looking doll that is Morty, this is a very boring horror film. The team here went for a more serious approach to the psychology aspect of fear, bringing out Richard's suppressed memories of telling his dad that he was being cucked by Santa, his dad then killing his mom, and then Richard curing himself by taking a puzzle ball from his younger self, throwing it at his mom's animated corpse, and then putting it back together again. Saying that sounds a lot more fun than it actually is, unfortunately. I mean, let's examine the relationship between the token dreadlocked white guy, Troy, and his sister, who just happens to show up at his place and agrees to just head up to the cabin. During initial introductions, she says that her mom adopted him when she was 14, and then she had to take care of him, so she's pissed because she lost her childhood. What a great sister! Later on, after Troy loses his shit because his best friend's girlfriend won't bang him, he tries to fuck his own sister, telling her that they're not really related. She then proceeds to tell him that they are related because, well, he's actually her son. I saw a lot of people excited about this when Vinegar Syndrome announced the title, and when it was over, I was scratching my head wondering why. It features an unlikable bunch that you hope bite the bullet in interesting ways, and unfortunately that just never happens. 
It's got no gore, no nudity, no other trappings of good exploitative horror movies, and none of the shock value or great characters that elevated horror often provides. In terms of the Vinegar Syndrome disc, you get two new commentary tracks, one from the director Vincent Robert, and another with an executive producer named Greg H. Sims, and an hour-long making-of documentary called Face to Face with the Fear. I cannot recommend the fear. I thought it was a snoozer. Of course, that's just one man's opinion. We also have a separate opinion here from a person named Vlad, 1917. I pulled this off of IMDb. He rated this back in 1999. The review is called Overlooked and Underrated and says this movie far excels over typical horror movies as it A, making at least some attempts to bring depth and reason to a monster killing people. Morty scares people until they can face their fears based on pseudo-psychological reasons. That actually doesn't happen in the film. And B, Morty is pretty scary. Both of those can't be said about some guy in a hockey mask. Sliding Jason. Daring move, buddy. Daring move, Vlad 1917. He continues, Because the human characters are so damn annoying, Morty is truly the star of the show. The makeup is great. It lost the 1995 Academy Award to Ed Wood, why I have no idea. Also incorrect, that year was Braveheart that won Best Makeup, and uh, The Fear was never nominated. He continues, and really is scary looking. I was scared of statues and dolls when I was a kid, so Morty struck a chord in me. When they were telling Morty their fears, I was saying, I'm scared of you, Morty. It took me a couple of minutes to realize Morty was a human in makeup and not a real statue. 10 stars out of 10. Well, I'm glad you liked it, Vlad1917. I think it's a dud. F5ers, we've got the perfect sponsor for today's show. As you'll hear from our picks today, the world is a dangerous place out there, and a lot of places don't allow you to carry a machine gun around for some reason. Well, I've got good news for you. You can turn your hands into lethal weapons with an eight-week program with the Rex Kwan Do self-defense system. Rex has developed this martial art over two seasons of fighting in the octagon. You'll be able to defend yourself with the strength of a grizzly, the reflexes of a puma, and the wisdom of a man. If you're ready to become a champion of freedom and justice, head to 2991 North State in Preston, Idaho, and tell Rex that Force 5 sent you for a free trial lesson. Rex Kwando! This is the Force 5 Podcast, and joining me tonight, 2,560 miles to my right, in Cambridge, Ontario, Canada, is hip-hop producer Eloquent. He's part of the Mellow Music Group and has worked with rappers like Odyssey, Blue, Guilty Simpson, Ivan Av, plenty of others, and just released the project Comfort Food with the Boom Baptist and Juicy the Emissary, which you can listen to right now, anywhere you stream your music. Eloquent, how's it going, man? Great, man. I appreciate that uh, that intro. Um, you know, <laughs> just happy to happy to be here, um, and you know, looking forward to the future. Yeah, it's this is probably a different type of interview than you've had before. I'm sure the, the most of the interviews you do are music related, but we're gonna talk some movies. So, just to kind of give people a a bit of your taste, what are some of your favorite movies of all time that would not make our list today? So outside of the realm of you know of what we're what we're discussing today, always been a big fan of uh, like Pulp Fiction. That's definitely nice. definitely one of the favorites. The first Matrix, always you know always uh, kept a warm spot for that movie. Um, there's just Doug. There's just really cool uh, Doug Liman. Doug Lyman. What's his name? Doug Lyman, yeah. Yeah, there's he's got this one movie called Go, which is very like Tarantino esque that I you know, I got recommended by complete accident and I ended up like <laughs> loving that movie. So yeah, that that's one that I've definitely uh watched a few times and you know, the the, the OG uh Batman. I'm I'm a I'm a huge Batman guy just to begin with. Um so it's only natural that uh but one of those ended up being among one of my favorites. Very cool. Go. That's the first time I've heard Go come up on this show. And it's uh, that's that's one that I know I saw in theaters, but I don't remember a thing about it. Is that the one with uh, who's who's in that? Katie Holmes is in it. And oh, that's right. It's kind of one of those movies that, you know, every time I go to like Walmart or, or Kmart or whatever, like I always see it in like, one of like the bargain bins or you know <laughs> like 
you know, one of these DVDs with, like, the old type of, like, uh, DVD cases, like the ones with, like, the little fold-over and, like, the magnet. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, and it was always, like, 7 $8, and, you know, I never paid it any mind. And uh, a good friend of mine who's, like, really, really into movies, like, he recommended that I, that I check it out. And, you know, it kind of just sat on my table for for months and he kept and he kept bugging me like dude dude just watch it like i, I promise like if you if, if, if you like uh reservoir dogs and pulp fiction you know like you'll like you'll really dig it and you know i i got bored enough one day and i watched it like i was definitely hooked by it like it it has that that cool time travel I guess not time travel, but just kind of going back and forth into the timelines to sort of confuse it. You know, sure. some, something that I'd never, I'd never really seen before prior to to Pulp Fiction. Huh. All right, I'll have to check that out again. It's definitely one that I know I saw, but I don't remember a thing about it. Now I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go and say like this is one of like the best movies of all time or anything like that. But, but you know, I guess if you're if you're into more like more dialogue focused movies like like Kevin Smith joints or or the aforementioned Tarantino, you know this is another another interesting one. At some point, I know I got to see this. Uh, very cool, man. Tonight we're going to be talking kung fu movies. So I just want to kind of ask, like, what's your relationship like with kung fu movies? Have you watched them since you were little? Like, what you, what, what got you into them? Honestly, I'd say what really got me into them was like being a Wu Tang fan. Like you know, at a at a pretty early age, like I'm talking age four or five, you know, like oh wow. So you know, so which would have been ninety one, ninety two, you know, like I'd listen to to those old records and you know, which were full of samples and and the music videos always paid homage to them and you know just the art of combat was always something that that was that was cool to me i'd say i didn't start watching them i mean i'd, I'd seen hollywood martial arts movies which you know i didn't really pay too much too much thought to like yeah you know, like van damme's cool you know steven seagal cool he just broke that guy's <laughs> arm all right tight but when i was Early in high school, like a store around the way, you know, had all of these these VHS tapes, and usually the the martial arts ones, like the kung fu joints, were usually super super cheap, and you know, like I was just bored, and I I bought one, and I you know watched it, uh, just fell in love with it, you know, and one movie turns into two, which turns into three, <laughs> which turns into eight, nine, and ten. And and, and these movies were always they're always like bargain bins. So they're you know, I could get like five or six of them at a time. You know, next thing I knew, like my VHS collection was really starting to grow, which eventually became uh, you know, a DVD collection. And then I started getting into like online forums and I'm I'm finding out about rare movies and folks are doing like VHS rips onto DVDs. And like, I'm seeing all these Shaw brothers movies that I'd, you know, I, I, I couldn't get, you know, and, and mind you, I'm, I'm in high school and I, I don't have a credit card, so I can't order these online. I mean, that wasn't even really a thing at that point, you know, that's kind of where it cert certainly where it started. And eventually it, kind of blossomed into a full-on addiction or a full-on obsession maybe that's a better word and yeah and you know and at one point it's now now it's beyond me just watching some cool fight scenes now like i i know these actors like by name and i can recognize them and I know like these directors and the fight choreographers and when I'm looking at the the credits like I know I know who to check for and who not to and you know I'm even learning to get the proper pronunciation of some of these Chinese names like my my obsession it it got pretty pretty deep at one point and and even to to this day I mean I, I still love them YouTube really kind of in one way, it really opened things up as far as, well, now I can see all of these movies that I couldn't find or I couldn't afford back in the day. 
but on the other hand, it's kind of taken away the the the, the hunt, you know, that that I used to yeah, have. Yeah, the magic of the discovery. Exactly, because I mean, my like my collection was is probably, if I'd had to guess, five, maybe six hundred deep, and Holy moly. and some of these movies, like I, I had to do like a ton of research and had to ask a lot of questions and I had to trade a lot of assets that I didn't want to trade in order to get them. You know, I had to try to, to get uh region free DVD players. Cause oh, yeah. you know, cause some of these movies just would not work on a region one DVD player, but now it's like, well, every Sunday morning I can hop onto YouTube and, and Oh, cool. There's Shaolin Redmaster. There's a cool, cool movie that i could never find a uh, a dvd print of you know on youtube widescreen you know everything except for the subtitles cool sure all right yeah that's cool so all kind of kicked off with the wu-tang clan and just built from there that's that's awesome well yeah and especially early on like i was one of the first movies that that i found was was a movie called Wu-Tang Clan. Like I saw that in a store and I'm like, yes, I, I, I have to get this for no other reason but, but the name. Um, and I kind of threw it in my uh, <clears throat> my DVD player, you know, expecting to to see like where the rappers got all their names from and everything. And, you know, I, I was kind of disappointed when I found out that, oh, well, the actual name of the movie is called The Heroes, but some wise guy, I guess, thought Wu-Tang Clan was more uh, was more marketable, I, I suppose. Um, but that's not just a, a kung fu thing. That's kind of a, a foreign movie thing altogether. I didn't really get into kung fu movies when I was young because I grew up with a different kind of action film. Like I grew up with the Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone action movies. Right. So when I would see kung fu movies come on tv it always felt kind of corny because they had the exaggerated sound effects and the bad dubbing that they're known for and uh, you know people are flying through the air with a lot of wire work in the ones that i was seeing and it always just kind of felt corny until the matrix came out right in 1999 like you mentioned earlier and uh, all of a sudden it brought kung fu kind of back and then a couple of years later, Kill Bill came out and I'm a huge Tarantino fan, just like you. Yep. And I just I started digging into the influences because he, you know, he wears his influences on his sleeves. So I went out and I was trying to find what had inspired Kill Bill. And that's what kind of got me into into Kung Fu movies. And then even more so recently when I rewatched Kill Bill and the Internet's a lot different now than it was in 2003. Definitely, definitely. I was able to find so much more stuff but yeah that's that's kind of what got me into kung fu movies aside from you know just the awesome fight scenes that you can see in there they have some really great stories too yeah well interestingly like the matrix was one was one of those movies that i was i was kind of late on like everyone always like talked about like you know the matrix this the matrix that and you know as far as i knew like okay this is another another uh, sci-fi romp um, yeah, I'm sure I'll get to it eventually and um, and eventually I, I did um, not really knowing much about it this is kind of early into my obsession like like it was like a casual thing and then just kind of expanded and got greater and greater and so when I was watching I was watching the movie and I was watching the fights and you know the first thing I thought, you know, they, they had to have brought someone in from, from Hong Kong to, you know, to, to oversee this. Like, this doesn't feel like the regular, frankly, slow Hollywood fight scenes that, you know, that I'd sort of come to expect only to, you know, watch some of the special features and, oh, oh, there's Yunu Ping. And, I mean, even taking it to, to Kill Bill, I remember watching part one and you know, just getting on Google just to learn everything that I could about it. And, and he, you know, Peng, once again was involved as kind of the, the, uh, the common thread. I also discovered a neat little movie called Lady Snowblood, mm-hmm. which really was, 
you know, I guess above all the other influences, maybe the main one behind Kill Bill. Yeah, I guess in a, in a roundabout way, I mean, Tarantino's certainly played uh, quite a role as far as my kung fu fandom and like researching like a number of of other films based on, you know, like the influences that he, he likes to sprinkle in, in a lot of his films. For your list today, did you have any, did you impose any rules on yourself? Well, I think there's a, there's a distinction to be made. Like I could list my personal five favorite movies that I, you know, can always go to, but I guess the parameters I decided to set were like my five that I would show someone who doesn't know anything about Kung Fu. I also kind of imposed limits on myself. Like I only went with classic style Kung Fu films. So you're not going to find any like Muay Thai centered movies on my list. Gotcha. I really wanted to keep weapons out of it. Classic Kung Fu movies do have some sword, sword play, play, do have yep. some interesting weapons. Yeah. But there's only one on my list that features guns and those guns are not the reason that I chose the film. So that's kind of like where my head was at when I was building my list. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a wide spectrum. Those wuxia uh, swordplay movies, I've never personally been like huge into. Like I like, yeah, I, mean, like I like them, but you know, m- most of them are, or many of them rather, tend to be a little more fantasy based and kind of takes me out of the the immersion a little bit but many of them are beautiful movies like in their own regard let's get into it let's get into the list you know what's gonna happen Top five kung fu movies. Eloquent. What's number five on your top five kung fu movies list? Disclaimer, these are in no particular order, but I guess the fifth one that I have written down is uh, Bruce Lee, Fist of Fury, also known as uh, the Chinese Connection. He's unstoppable, unbeatable, unbelievable. Bruce Lee, the master of karate, kung fu, delivering that Chinese connection. Bruce Lee, the oriental superstar who exploded across the screens of America in the phenomenally successful Fists of Fury, is back to defend the honor of his nation and the love of his woman. Bruce Lee, um, God rest his soul, he did five movies or rather he starred in five movies while while he was alive. Fist of Fury is the second one that he did. From what I understand, this is the one which really just like like made him a full-on star. America retitled it Chinese Connection for whatever reason. But the story behind it is that he's studying abroad in Japan. And he gets word that his teacher has, has died and it, it's later discovered that he was poisoned. Um, so he comes back home to, uh, I think, Shanghai, uh, pissed beyond all belief. They just tried to tell him that, oh, apparently it was pneumonia and he doesn't believe it. He's convinced that the Japanese were behind it and it turns out that they were. And he spends much of the movie on the run as a renegade, uh, just seeking revenge. Like, it was made in, I want to say, 1973. Fight choreography and things like that were certainly a little more basic than they eventually became. Watching Bruce in this movie or any movie, like, there's a, a noticeable difference in the way that he moves and the way that he emotes compared to to anyone else obviously he has the real life martial arts credentials and background a lot of the movies in the 70s were made up of um like peking opera students so a lot of them ended up being stuntmen you know they can flip they can do some cool dance like stuff like acrobatics acrobatics exactly um but this is a guy who could literally beat the shit out of anyone um if you wanted to it has just a number of iconic scenes to it, like 
early in the movie, like when he finds out that his, his teacher, his, uh, his Sifu, his, his mentor is, is killed, and he visits the local uh, Japanese school, and they all kind of just laugh at him and chirp at him, and they call him uh, Sick Men of Asia. I guess the movie has an interesting sort of nationalistic undertone to it that I'd never really I'd never really seen before. In so many of these Hong Kong like Chinese movies, the the Japanese were were almost always the villains. Um yep. and they were the the oppressors. They were always always picking on the poor Chinese and, and this this guy, Bruce, who went to Japan to, to study there to, you know, I guess, enhance himself and enhance his skills and comes back and just kind of wages a one-man war against seemingly the whole country. And when he punches someone, he looks like he's really trying to, like, put a hole through their stomach. Listeners, if you're looking to get into Bruce Lee, the Criterion Collection put out an amazing Bruce Lee collection called The Greatest Hits last year. It includes Fist of Fury. Uh, and it's sitting on my shelf right now. I just haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet. But it includes, I think it has five different Bruce Lee movies. So it's like the perfect platter for all your Bruce Lee needs. My number five is my most recent movie on my list. It's from 2008. But I think that your number five leads leads me into mine pretty well. And that's, it's called Ip Man. When Japan invaded China, they ruled with a deadly fist. Rose to fight against them. But only one man had the secret. A warrior legend. Conquered and oppressed. Who never lost his honor. So Ip Man is about a really influential Wing Chun champion who famously taught Bruce Lee. The history of it and the realism of it is definitely not there. This is all fictional accounts, but uh, he is known as Bruce Lee's teacher. So it takes place in China in 1935. And just like you said, with Japanese being like the main antagonists, they are here as well as the Japanese Imperial Army comes into Ip Man's town during the Sino-Japanese War. It stars Donnie Yen as Ip Man. Donnie Yen is amazing as just a martial artist. And if you're into like really kick-ass action movies, he's got movies called Flashpoint and SPL that are amazing. But in terms of straight-up kung fu movies, Ip Man is like his crowning achievement, I think, just in terms of the fights. He plays Ip Man, obviously, and he's very calm. He's very collect. He wants to do what's right. And this Japanese army inches him closer and closer and closer to essentially his breaking point, at which point he requests to fight 10 black belts at once in front of the Japanese general. And he just demolishes them. I guess from like a martial arts like fight choreography standpoint, I mean that that's got to be like a top five scene ever. Oh, it's so good! It's unbelievable. It's choreographed, but it is not delicate. Like people are getting their faces smashed in. He is breaking bones. He does what I think is one of the coolest moves in any kung fu movie. He does what's called the machine gun punch where it's like rapid fire punches over and over again to the point where he starts on one guy. He's the guy's standing up. He starts machine gun punching him in the chest until the guy is on the ground and he's still punching him. It's crazy cool. Oh, and the, the sound effects. Ugh. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the sound effects are great. The whole movie is great. And if you're not a, a fan of Kung Fu movies, but you want an entry point, I think Ip Man is it's a good starting point for Kung Fu movies because it's got like the newer aesthetic. It looks really great, but it shows you what those fight scenes are all about. This is a really good movie. It won best film and best action choreography at the 2009 Hong Kong film awards. 
And if you like the first one, there's like three sequels plus Wong Kar Wai made a, uh, a movie, a separate film called The Grand Master about the same guy. There's also a spinoff that they did, uh, I want to say two years ago, called uh, Master Z. Oh, I haven't even seen that. Yeah, it's uh, it's directed by uh, Yun Wu Ping. He like he was he did the fight choreography for the the third and the fourth one, if I'm not mistaken. I guess if you've seen the, the third one, one of the main characters from that, the second uh, Wing Chun uh, practitioner, uh, Master Z is centered around him. It's not as good as uh, as Yip Man, and you know he's no Donnie, but very very good in its own right. I'll have to check that out. That's uh, Master Z, you said? That's right. So go check that out and check out Ip Man from 2008. Just amazing fight choreography and uh, and a good entry point, I think. 100%. 100%. Couldn't uh, agree more. The fight choreographer for the first two movies is one Sammo Hung, who is oh, yeah. uh, an absolute legend just in martial arts cinema, especially if you sort of followed him in the 70s and the 80s. Uh, he's had his fingerprints on on a lot of different things. Sammo Hung's been around forever. He was in the previously mentioned Game of Death. I, th- I think he was in Game of Death, right? Yeah. In the Game of Death, uh, there is a scene in there where one of the, the villains, uh, the, the tall guy, I think his name was like Bob Wall, if I'm not mistaken. He's having like a, a fight with some random fat guy in the ring before he goes to to his locker room and eventually gets beaten up by Bruce Lee's character but the guy he's fighting in the ring was actually Sammo Hung and uh he did the the action direction or fight choreography for all the action in the movie outside of the stuff that was actually Bruce Lee I guess I'll get this out of the way. I actually had Yip Man um, penciled in as, uh, nice. as my number four. Probably don't need to go through the entire analysis again. Definitely echo everything that you said about that. It's just an all-around awesome movie. So I guess if I jump down to number three on my list, and I guess keeping up with Donnie Yen, Iron Monkey. In a time of tyranny and oppression... <laughs> His justice comes in the silence before dawn. A champion of the poor, his compassion is equaled only by his courage. Hunted by a corrupt government, his anonymity protects a secret code known only to the woman whose love he shares. Now, as the forces of vengeance close in around him, he will forge an alliance with the one man he considers his equal. And together, they will risk everything to protect a child who will one day become a legend. This was a uh, 1993, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, 93. Starring Donnie Yen, Yurong Guang. Um, directed by Yun Wu Ping. This was one of those movies that, you know, I didn't know much of prior to seeing it, but when I went to the video store looking for something new to purchase, it was re-released through Miramax, and they slapped uh, Quentin Tarantino Presents at the top of the box. (laughs) So for a while, I thought that he actually directed the movie or produced it or really had any involvement in it other than telling the Weinsteins, yo, put this out. People pe- pe- people this. like it, you know. This was in the height of the early to mid-90s where, you know, Wirework was very, very popular and sort of grew to prominence. So, you know, this is where you have people floating in the air, throwing 600 punches before they get to the ground and... You know, people being kicked through walls and getting up like like it was it was more akin to like, you know, a Dragon Ball Z fight. But it has some of the most creative fight choreography that I'd ever seen. Effectively, this movie is kind of like a Chinese version of Robin Hood. Um, you know, you have the, I'm assuming the Manchurian government who regularly screws over the, the poor. And you have the Robin Hood type figure, uh, 
which is the Iron Monkey, regularly stealing from uh, from said regime and, you know, giving the money and giving the gold to, to the poor. Um, and they spend the whole movie just trying to catch him, but he's always one step ahead. It just so happens that another martial arts master, in this case, Don Yen, is strolling through the city and kind of gets caught up in the government scheme to get um, the Iron Monkey back. So they kind of face off, but eventually they team up to overthrow the, the head of the of the regime, who is known as the royal minister, at least that's how the dub referred to him as. And they have a pretty crazy fight um, on top of poles with the ground set ablaze on fire. Uh, yes, it sounds every bit as crazy as I mentioned, but... <laughs> But it's it, it's creative, and even with all of the the wire work and the kind of shoddy special effects by today's standards, it's just full of creativity and outstanding fight choreography, and you know, and a genuinely funny plot. So I have nothing but great things to say about it. So I guess I'll do two because yep. we already kind of talked about your your four and three. So all right, at my number four. I've got, we're going back to 1976 here for The Hot, The Cool, and The Vicious. Very good choice. Very good choice. The Hot, a ferocious southern boss. The Cool, a thunder-kicked northern fighter. And The Vicious. An evil, savage killer. All in the hot, the cool, and the vicious. Not only is this one of the best titles for a film ever, but it's also got one of the craziest kung fu villains ever as well, played by Tommy Tommy Lee. Lee, Yeah. Yeah, not the Tommy Lee that most of you will know as like the rock star, but a different Tommy Lee. The Hot, the Cool, and the Vicious takes place in this small... It's almost like a Western setting, and it's this place called Blackstone, and this mysterious stranger named Pai Yu Ching, a.k.a. the Southern Fist, rolls into town, and the sheriff of this town is Captain Lou, a.k.a. the Northern Leg. So you have the Southern Fist, you have the Northern Leg, and eventually they both have to deal with this incredibly odd villain named Mr. Lung. So I told you that Tommy Lee is like this crazy-looking villain. He's supposed to be an albino with blonde <laughs> hair he's got like this blonde mustache but it's just his face it's just covered in white paint white makeup he's also like a hunchback and he has this limp and both the the way he stands and the limp just kind of like he decides when to do it and when not to do it during fight scenes which is kind of funny right it's about a counterfeit ring and the southern fist comes into town to kind of figure out who's in charge of this counterfeit ring but it has some awesome fight scenes in this. The best, of course, is the final fight when you finally see the Northern Leg and the Southern Fist team up to take on Mr. Lung. It's really fun to see them work together using their like punching and then kicking strengths at the same time. And then one other thing that I think is cool about The Hot, The Cool, and The Vicious is that it actually has some strong female characters too. They aren't just these damsels in distress. Right. They come off as smart awesome female protagonist so hot the cool and the vicious super dope title and just a really good kung fu movie with some great fights this is one that you can find on youtube it's pretty bad quality like the print is bad on youtube but if you want to check it out and you don't want to order something go check it out there yeah i've i've searched pretty high and wide for uh you know for a better quality print Good prints are very hard to come by. Like a lot of these, especially the movies in the 70s and in the 80s, a lot of them came out on like these like small independent companies and, you know, like keeping records and, and, and keeping like their prints in, in good form didn't happen really that often. Um, yeah. So a lot of the times, you know, you're kind of stuck with the, the full screen VHS transfers. Unfortunately, that's a big problem with a lot of the a lot of the classics from the seventies. There's just you know you kind of just have to live with the with the shoddy quality. 
Yeah, I'm right there with you. And this one, this one's directed by So Nam Lee, who also did one that didn't make my list, but could have made my list: Fatal Needles versus Fatal Fists. Ooh, so good stuff there. Definitely, definitely. Um, I'll move on to my number three. Let's see. I guess I'll go with my goofiest pick for for number three. This is one that I have a lot of fun with, but it's probably not going to be considered one of the best in the genre. And that's Sleeping Fist from 1979. Uh, I love that giant. Yeah. It's like, it's this goofy movie with elements of comedy as well as kung fu. Uh, It's about this policeman named Cam, played by Beardy, uh, a.k.a. Brian Leung. And he goes into this tea house and he gets the tar beat out of him because he he's about to report some crimes so the person who he's going to report sends his thugs after him they beat him up they leave him for dead and there's a kid named kid once well, in some <laughs> dubs he's kid and in some dubs he's cub so i'll just call him kid but kid rescues him he brings him to his grandmaster known as the old fox and old fox teaches them the art of sleeping fist and in terms of uh, like kung fu styles, Sleeping Fist to me is super interesting. It's almost like a lot of the moves you're just falling into your opponent with your elbow or your <laughs> knee. It's a it's a really interesting style which I which I love, but once they learn the art of Sleeping Fist, then Cam heads out for revenge. But the bad guys, they have a secret weapon of their own in Cow. He's a master of Eagle Claw. The form of Sleeping Fist to me is really interesting. The moves look kind of lazy, and it's so different than a lot of these kung fu movies that I've seen. The dubbing on this film, at least on the print I saw, is also awful, so it's hard to take it seriously (laughs) anyway. But I kind of think that adds to the charm, because the movie's already kind of goofy. In terms of the kid, there's a lot of cute stuff with the kid in this one, more so than the other movies on my list. The kid kid can go. (laughs) Yeah, the kid's awesome. Like He has this... He has some really dope acrobatics, and in certain scenes, the old fox and Cam both use him as either a weapon or a puppet (laughs) to fight with. It's super fun. It's super cool to watch. It does start off a little bit slow, but once you get through the initial beatdown and then those training sequences, it is like filled with fights in the second half. This is another one that you can find on YouTube, and if you want just like a sampler of what the Sleeping Fist style is... There's like like the first five minutes of the movie is just over the credits. It's them fighting in front of this red screen. It's a classic Kung Fu movie trope. Yeah. 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 And they're like showing off their moves and the sleeping fist style. It's just so funny. Like, I don't know how some of these haven't been turned into memes yet. There's just like <laughs> so it's it's gold. Um, so, yeah, go check that out. Number three, Sleeping Fist, 1979. Yeah, I, I think after Drunken Master um, with Jackie Chan came out and and that was just like a, a huge, huge hit. And I guess you could even take it further back to Snake in the Eagle's Shadow again with uh, with Jackie. And uh, yep. yeah, and I think at that point, um, like comedy and like those kung fu movies really, really took off. Like it, it, it didn't invent it, obviously, but there was kind of a formula that Jackie and company established there where, you know, you've got your hero, you've got your bummy, homeless beggar type who, uh, <laughs> yep. interestingly, um, is the same guy who played said character in um, Snake and Eagle Shadow and Drunken Master. His hmm. name is Simon Yoon, who's actually the father of, uh, of Yoon Wu-Ping. But I agree. But this this one was a, was a lot of fun. And sleeping fist is really really goofy but i can't i can't (laughs) but i can't pretend like i didn't watch it with a a huge smile on my face the whole time (laughs) what's your number two i had like six or seven picks in here and my hope was to kind of decide on the almost on the fly since we're kind of sticking to the the subject of goofiness my next one is a 1976 classic called Master of the Flying Guillotine. Nice, dude. This is my number two as well. Uh, so. fun, fun, funny how that works. He comes from beyond time, from beyond the outer limits of your imagination. 
is the master of the flying guillotine. And he's ready to blow your mind. With more nerve-shattering special effects than you have ever seen before. It's a trip into a world where warriors from the ends of the universe meet in combat that knows no boundaries. A world where silent soldiers of death try everything in their power to conquer the most gruesome weapon ever conceived. See special visual effects filmed entirely in Super Cinevision as the master of the flying guillotine encounters the most amazing creatures in this or any world. Yes, starring uh, the goat, Jimmy Wang Yu. And, and I'm thinking for anyone who hasn't seen it, I mean, I'm going to like describe the plot and... Yes, it sounds every bit as goofy as as you know <laughs> as it sounds, but but it's awesome. Uh, there's a one-armed boxer who is a legend and one of the best fighters in in all the land. And basically, he beats up and he kills two guys. Actually, from a, an older movie. Yeah, the one-armed one-armed boxer. boxer. You got it. But I guess before the the two aforementioned characters die, they send a message via carrier pigeon to their master who is a blind monk basically warning them hey if you get this message it means the one-armed boxer got to us and killed us so avenge us and he spends the movie doing just that i mean this guy is teaching his students how to walk on walls it's like controlling your breath to walk on walls like, imagine i could just control my breathing and i could just walk up walls like i'm spider-man the big hook is that there is this martial arts tournament um, coming to, uh, I guess, coming to town, which he's been invited to participate in, but he decides just to, to watch it because, you know, I guess he's like the Michael Jordan of the martial arts world and it's it's beneath him. And I think he's trying to lay low as well. Yeah. Like he doesn't want to be known as the best fighter he just, he's trying to lay and I, I think he's he's fearful that because he, he knows someone's going to come from out of revenge i guess and interestingly the the tournament really doesn't serve an actual purpose to the story like given how long that it, it goes but you but you get to see like all of these different styles and you know the whole tournament's like 25 minutes of the runtime of the, of the movie yeah i was gonna say it's like a third of yeah. the, the film and, and it's awesome i mean there's monkey fighters there's strong man who doesn't feel any pain until he gets kicked in the nuts and there's weapon fighters and there's a monkey practitioner and interestingly there's a another one-armed fighter and i don't know i guess there's just a bunch of them and <laughs> right after he wins this match he is beheaded by the blind monk who throws what looks like a frisbee on a, you know, on a chain link and just cuts his head off. One-armed boxer escapes. They plot a, a plan to take out all of his allies, including uh, a Thai fighter who I'd never seen in, in that sort of movie before, and a Japanese fighter whose name is win without a knife yeah yep and his whole thing is that he he uses a knife the whole time like calling a big guy tiny. exactly exactly um but uh yeah but they work out like a whole scheme and ultimately they lure him into a coffin shop and you know the one-armed boxer kills him not not only kills him punches him <laughs> through the roof and then when he comes down off the roof, he lands in a coffin. It's unbelievable. Like, I, I I, don't know what sort of acid folks were taking when they were sitting down penning the script, but <laughs> just a, a wild a wild movie, all, all in all. There's, there's a couple things that I want to add. So the, the flying guillotine itself is one of the coolest, like, it's, it's strange, but it's one of the coolest movie weapons I think ever made. Like you said, it's like this frisbee, but it's it's inside of a hat. <laughs> <laughs> so this dude takes his hat off, and he chucks this frisbee, and the inside of this steel frisbee is lined with like these shark teeth blades, and it lands on the person's head, 
and then he like whips the chain and it just decapitates them. Yeah, like there was um there was a Shaw Brothers movie called Flying Guillotine, which is you yeah, know, which was the uh the, the the OG. And that movie was like serious, but it's this big, huge contraption. This thing looks like it weighs like twenty pounds. Like there's no way that you can convince me that this thing could ever work. <laughs> but when uh they did it in in uh Master the Flying Guillotine, it's like it, it's compact and he swings it around and you can or rather it's easier to suspend your disbelief for it. And the fact that the guy throwing it is literally a blind monk. Like he he gets by just off of his hearing alone. I mean he's He's Zatsuichi in a martial arts movie. It, it's unbelievable. And you mentioned the martial arts tournament, but um, one of the fighters, one of the fighters that I want to highlight is this Indian oh fighter God. who <laughs> was 100% the inspiration for Dalzim from Street Fighter 2. His limbs like do the same thing that Dalzim's do in which like his arms just grow to like 10 feet long. It's awesome fortunate for jimmy wang Yu, who also directed it that um they could get away with uh having that type of character in 1976 because lord knows yeah. that would never fly now i mean it's this was literally <laughs> like another chinese guy that they they spray painted brown and they they gave him a turban and lord knows whoever they hired to to dub him but they gave him like a very stereotypical indian accent but like he's already a skilled fighter as is and then he just kind of go-go gadgets his arms and they just extend oh and the way the one-armed boxer kills him is just gruesome oh yeah the guy's flying around like a (laughs) rag doll and with these 10 foot arms just flailing around it's it's amazing it's unbelievable cool that it was uh that it was both of our number two that's right all right so that that's two out of five that we're already in agreement on. I know. I wonder if we're going to match up uh, on our grand finale. What's your number one? What's your uh, number one on your list of top five kung fu movies, Eloquent? What do you got? Oh, God, this is hard. I was trying to decide between like three of them, to be honest. Um, I had The Mystery of Chess Boxing. I had Drunken Master. One or two as a possibility, but I'm going to go with another jackie chan joint uh, i'm gonna go with police story oh that's my number one as well <laughs> <laughs> let's go police story from 85 jackie chan hold it dynamic dauntless Resourceful. A ladies' man. He's no average cop. But he gets the job done. This was a very transcendent movie in that I think this is kind of one of the flashpoint films in the transition from old school period, you know, 1400s, 1500s, that sort of time period to like modern day action movies. And the Jackie Chan that we know today, exactly. really. Like, he, you know, he sort of cut his teeth doing all of, like, the... Well, not to say that he wasn't doing acrobatic stuff, but, you know, like, the typical kung fu forms and, you know, the snake fist and the crane style and yada, yada, yada. And this is where, like, he's in a, a real, like, modern setting. And instead of fighting eight people... at, at at once and not not taking a single hit and it just looks flowery and and so forth i mean his his action scenes look like real fights you know like folks are really trying to kill him and he and he would take punches which is something you didn't really see very often like he's a police officer i guess they kind of do a sting operation 
the kingpin guy, uh, I believe his name is Choryun. He catches them trying to like escape. And so upon doing it, they're trying to prosecute this guy. And Jackie is tasked to be a, a bodyguard or a protector of their star witness. Um, and all the while, he has a super high-maintenance, jealous girlfriend who's like overreacting <laughs> to, to everything. But, but Jackie's slick and like talks bad about her like when he thinks that she doesn't listen and so forth. Him and his buddy Mars, they devise this plan to trick her into thinking she's into more in an actual danger in order to get her as a cooperating witness. And then Which is a hilarious Which is hilarious scene. in and of itself. And then like people actually try to kill her, which leads to a crazy fight in I wanna say a parking lot. Yep. Yeah, which was just just nuts. And the stunt work. I mean, we can talk about the actual kung fu, but the the stunt work and some of the oh, some of the falls and the stuff that the stunt men were taking. I mean, I really hope Jackie and his and Golden Harvest like gave them like some decent medical benefits because I mean he, he must have taken like a few years off of some of their lives, let alone his own, and we'll get to that later. It all leads to um, probably my favorite scene in martial arts history. Just a, a crazy chase scene in a in a mall, where like Jackie's fighting goons left and right. Um, he's kicking people down onto moving escalators. In one scene, he jumps off of like I guess the top floor of uh, of like the mall. It's like four or five stories at least, up. at least, and he slides down um, like a like a pole, which is like wrapped in like lights or something. And yeah, and he literally falls like three or four stories. And I find a lot of comedy in some of these martial arts movies kind of kind of lame, or maybe they just don't really translate very well to Western audiences. But this movie, I thought it was just genuinely hilarious. The mall scene is one of my favorite action scenes of Period. all time. Yeah. And he's doing it all. It's even made better because Jackie Chan's wearing like this Cosby sweater <laughs> <Yeah>. almost. <laughs> Like, he kicks a guy, and the guy backflips onto an escalator. He kicks another guy through glass down an escalator. Yeah. Like, down the <laughs> middle of the escalators. When he did that pole stunt that you're talking about, I, I have the uh, police story set from Criterion as well. They also put out a, a really great set of both police story one and two. And two is fantastic as well. Yeah, two is good, too. When he slides down this pole, he burnt, not only did his, his hands, he burn yeah. his hands, yeah, but when he fell through the kiosk, he also dislocated his pelvis and messed up a vertebrae in his back. He beats people up, but they beat the crap out of him too, which you said, you know, which wasn't something that was normal in films at the time, but he gets just the he just gets the crap kicked out of him, and it's so fun to see. He wasn't asking anyone, any of his stuntmen to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. Yeah, and there's so many scenes where Jackie himself, you you watch it and you can't help but think we almost saw a man die. Uh, there's a scene where he jumps onto a moving bus using uh, an umbrella. An umbrella. Yeah. If that umbrella breaks, Jackie Chan is dead. I think that movie is what began the year-long trend of the end credits of his movies um, featuring the blooper reel. Oh, yeah, which is very entertaining. For sure. Well, why don't you, uh, why don't you tell people about, like... Tell people about your music. What should they go check out? What's what's coming down the pipe that you want to promote? So, I mean, I'm a hip-hop producer. I just put out an album, like you mentioned off the top, um, with uh, some friends of mine, Boom Baptist and uh, Juicy the Emissary. Comfort Food. This is sort of a, an ode to, to Jay Dilla, who's uh, like one of our heroes. I did a, a record with Mellow Music Group last year called Forever is a Pretty Long Time featuring like Odyssey and Blue and Guilty Simpson and a gang of uh, friends of mine. I got a new record that I'm currently working on. I'm pretty easy to find. Just type me up on Spotify or Apple Music or, or just Google uh, Eloquent, E-L-A-Q-U-E-N-T. Dope. And where can people follow you on social media? I've got that pretty unified. So at Eloquent on Instagram at eloquent on twitter 
I'm on Facebook, but really no one uses Facebook anymore. Just check me out on my website, eloquent.com. Everywhere that I'm at can be found through there. Well, thanks for coming on. This was uh, hopefully educational for some folks. We had a lot of crossover, which means we both had solid lists, I think, in my 100%. view. 100%. I mean, once you said hot, cool, and the vicious, I like I kind of just, yeah, all right. I, I, def- <laughs> I definitely came on the right podcast. Yes, you did. And listeners, if you want to be a guest on the right podcast, the only real requirements are that you love movies and want to talk about them. So cobble together some interesting top five list topics and head to the website, force5podcast.com, which has a show request form and other Force 5 related content. Go rate and review this show on your favorite podcast platform and follow the Force 5 podcast on Instagram and Twitter so that you can tell me which picks we missed. Be polite about it. Don't be rude. Intro and outro bumpers today come courtesy of Nate Spears. The top five list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go check out some kung fu films. Force 5.